What's up, everybody? This is Chubbs. Welcome back, finally back, to another episode of In Plain View. Today is a special day because we have finally recruited one of our best friends onto the show. Guys, I just want to welcome Frost on. Say what's up, Frost. What's up, guys? Proud to be here. Uh, so excited to be a part of this journey uh, as a, a fellow man-child who uh, never really grew up. Uh, I'm so excited to uh, be taking this trip with two of my favorite people in the world talking about my favorite thing in the world, and that's pop culture, movies, comics, things of that nature. I, I just can't uh, thank uh, Chubbs and, and uh, Brandon enough uh, for this opportunity. Absolutely, man. I know I speak on behalf of Brandon, too, when I say we are extremely grateful to have you. You are such an asset to this team, this camp. Uh, and you bring so much expertise and, and strong um, knowledge, opinions into this group, man. So we're grateful to have you. Guys, what we do on In Play View is we talk about all things pop culture, any nerd fandom. If you dig it, we probably talk about it. And I do want to say before we kick off our episode today of our uh, official Suicide Squad review, because we got a lot to talk about with it, I do want to say that, uh, guys, right off the rip, you guys feel free to uh, – Talk about this in the comments with us. We want to bring you into this and make you a part of this as well. So please feel free to interact with us. We want to give you a piece of this too. And who knows, we might even bring you on for a show one day. So guys, this is a, a podcast that is made for you, for fellow nerds. As Frost put it best, fellow man-childs um, or woman-childs. So you can come on and just geek out with us and be nerdy. We're going to geek out on Suicide Squad today. So let's get right into it. Frost. Yes. Any any beginning opinions about the movie? Anything you want to to just let out, man? Your thoughts watching this movie? Yeah, well, you know my my initial thoughts when I initially heard that uh, James Gunn had jumped ship to DC and was going to make uh, a soft reboot, if you will, of the Suicide Squad was I was excited. Uh, I obviously enjoy Mr. Gunn's work. Uh, what he's done with Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't want to say I was disappointed with David Ayers' version of Suicide Squad, the, the first movie from the, the DCEU. But, but I feel like it didn't necessarily hit all the notes that we as fans wanted it to hit. Right, right, so right. I was really excited uh, to see what James Gunn's take on it was going to be. And I've got to say, without going any further uh, into any type of review or spoilers, man, I was I was pleased with what Gunn delivered for us. Oh, man, absolutely. I believe that word pleased might be a bit of an understatement, big guy, because we are psyched about this movie. Um, you know, we had, we had spoke before, before we got into this, that... Uh, about how we felt about that first movie, about that Ayers movie. Hashtag release the Ayers cut. Um, I, I, I like the movie. I appreciate the cult the cult following that it had. Instant cult classic. Um, awesome soundtrack to go along with that. Help that out. I'm a big soundtrack guy. I love scores and composers and all that. But the movie itself, the first movie itself, wasn't as up to par as this. And that's all James Gunn. That's all. We have, we have uh, nothing but praises. Wayne's World, we are not worthy. We're not worthy. James Gunn took this uh, ran with it, man. I wasn't, 
I wasn't too ecstatic when I first heard that he was going to do it because I am a Marvel loyalist, as so to speak. And I was like, what? He's it. And that was when all the controversy was going on. Gratefully, Marvel was smart enough to reel him back in to get him in for that Guardians Christmas special as well as Guardians 3. But, man, am I excited for what he might potentially do with DC, guy. Oh, that, that's oh without bad. a doubt. You know, uh, I think before we jump into the new movie, it might serve us well to go back and revisit the first movie. And uh, the reason why I say that is one of the critiques I believe a lot of people have with the first movie and with the DCEU in general is how dark it is. Uh, and I feel like Ayers, uh, when he took on the Suicide Squad, he wanted to do something that was a diametric opposition to what Marvel had done with with big team-up tentpole movies. You know, and, and this is no knock on Mar- Marvel, but, you know, the Avengers movies are big and colorful and and almost cartoonish uh, in their composition. They're bright and and hopeful. And I feel like Ayers, with that first Suicide Squad movie, tried to do a complete 180 for that and do a very dark and gritty uh, film uh, based on these really evil or villainous characters. Right. Uh, and I feel like he accomplished what he set out to do, but it just didn't, it didn't ring true for most people. Um, and, and I feel like that is where many of the critiques of that first movie come from. So, Chubbs, I'd have to ask you, if you had to pick one fault of that first movie, what would it have been for you? So what I, what comes to mind when I think about the comparisons is I, I believe it was you honestly that said this that um, Marvel movies feel like a movie about comic books and DC kind of feels like um, it, it's more I, I don't want to say cinematic but it feels like that first movie had more Hollywood in it it had too much Hollywood in it not no disrespect to what David Ayers did but it felt like it was too I don't know it it it, it didn't really grasp the fun aspect of Suicide Squad. It didn't grasp the, um, what we love about comic book movies, you know, and, and certain movies need that serious, darker tone for it to tell the story it needs to. Uh, instant example, the Dark Knight series, it needed that darker tone to get the, the what it needed. But I guess my first beef with it would be that, um, it, I don't know, it felt too commercialized, if that makes sense. It felt like it didn't have as much heart as other properties we love. Um, and we know Gunn is awesome for taking characters that nobody cared about and bringing them so much heart. So he did well with this, man. They could have not have got a, a better person to do this. But, yeah, that's that's my take. My only thing with the first one, man, wasn't a big fan of the uh, the villain. Uh, didn't care too much for the, you know, the not really building the villain up that well, which DC usually does very well. <clears throat> but, yeah, that was my only take. But, I mean, it just felt like it was too Hollywood. It wasn't grass rooted. It wasn't homegrown cooked. It was too uh, Hollywood for me. I don't know. Well, I, I I feel like, and I understand what you're saying. I feel like that feeling comes through because 
you took these characters and you you that first movie almost tore all the heart away from these characters. Uh, which I think is one of the great things Gunn has done in this new movie. Uh, you know, I can't I can't say enough about what a genius uh, James Gunn is. And now before any of you listeners out there think, oh, these guys are just James Gunn fans and, and they're just going to be uh, praising him, uh, well, you may be be right, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it really is his gift that he can reach into the 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 back catalog of of these huge universes and pull out these characters that when you hear them for the first time you think there's no way you can make a movie with those guys. <laughs> ah man, nail on my head, dude. And you, you, you know, know Robert, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, when I first heard they were doing Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, I heard that and I was like, what are they thinking? You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, I had read some of the comics and, the, and they were good comics, but I couldn't fathom how, how they were going to make a summer tentpole blockbuster movie out of Guardians of the Galaxy. Out of a character Groot. Well, you know, and this was even before we knew who the lineup was going to be. Yeah. So when I when I first heard this, I, I pulled out uh, the Marvel Encyclopedia and a couple of other reference uh, books, and I started looking, and I was like, okay, well, they could use this guy, this guy, you know, maybe this character... Uh, this girl, you know, I can see how they can make a movie out of this, you know, kind of handpicking from the entirety of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, you know, when they announced uh, who was going to be in it, and they were like, Rocket Raccoon, I was like, what? Rocket Raccoon? And then Groot, I mean, who else in Hollywood could take a talking raccoon and a walking tree and make the movie that Guardians of the Galaxy turned out to be? Yeah, man, absolutely. Just it, it blew us all away. And I don't care how big a comic book fan you are, you're you probably wasn't one of the very few people on this planet that was like, "Yep, I knew it. I knew it all along that one day my characters I love would get a movie." Because nobody's seen it coming, but like you said, that just attests to we. If we're going to talk about Suicide Squad, we got to give the man credit, man. So yeah, we might ride his coattails a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna give the man praise credit where credit's due. We're gonna do that a couple of times in this episode. Um, while it's fresh on my mind, Frost, I do want to give credit to Warner Brothers, man. I think they this movie was born and bred out of mistakes. I feel like because with the mess, the hor- the confusion and mess that was the backstage of Suicide Squad or no, I'm sorry, Justice League. I think they realized there was way too many cooks in the kitchen. I think they realized that they needed a Kevin Feige. They needed people they could let have free reign, which is why everybody loves the Snyder Cut so much, because it was his vision, right? So I think with Suicide Squad, man, they realized they needed to give this man reigns. They needed to give him his creative ability. He probably wouldn't have came on board if it wasn't for that anyways. But, I mean, let's be real, it's James Gunn. But, I mean, I think this movie 
Chicago. I got to give some kudos to Warner Brothers for finally letting these filmmakers make films without too much direction and and um, you know telling them what needs to be done. And so kudos to them for that. Yes, and you know, ever since Patty Jenkins uh, made the Wonder Woman movies, I feel like Warner Brothers has kind of loosened the reins a little bit. And if I could, if by some miracle, somebody even distantly related to someone at Warner Brothers were to hear this and pass it on to me, if I as a fan uh, who spends money on your products could give you any type of advice or, or a wish list, it would be that you let your directors and your writers tell the stories they want to tell. Don't be so wrapped up in what you want your company to look like. Let the stories tell themselves and that will make your company look like what you want it to look like instead of being a controlling uh, art house type of, of studio. Uh, and I know, I know our, our brother Brandon, uh, he can't be with us because he's, uh, under the weather a little bit. Uh, but speaking of art house films and Warner Brothers, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, put this out there for Brandon because he's not able to put it out there for himself. Joker sucked. Joker sucks! Oh. <laughs> uh, and I'm talking about sucking on the level of like a black hole. If joy and happiness in comic book <laughs> movies was light, uh, the Joker movie was a black hole. It let no joy or happiness escape. Uh, and, and you know, me and Brandon have talked many times about this, and I know we're kind of getting off subject. Uh, but it's all comic book related, so. That's right. But, you know, that movie would have been great, and I could have enjoyed it, and I could have given them all the credit in the world if his name had been, uh, you know, Grumpy Chuckles. and yeah. Chuckles or something like that, and it hadn't have been in Gotham City, and they had never mentioned Bruce Wayne. Had they done those three things, it would have been a beautiful film about mental illness. Exactly, uh, man. But trying I'll take on to exactly. trying to do what they did with quite possibly one of the most iconic villains or characters, for that matter, in all of comics, it it made me sick. It sickened me. To see that only slightly more than Jared Leto with a smile tattooed on his the back of his hand, yeah. Uh, which brings us full circle back to Suicide Squad. <laughs> yep. So we just want to throw that out there. Joker sucks. If you don't believe it, you're lying to yourself. You only like it because somebody you work with or you're, one of your friends said they liked it, so you're just going along with it. So it's got to become clean and admit that the film was garbage. And the sooner you do that. Close you will be to happiness. So and right if, you can't, if you can't admit that, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb here and tell you, you're 
probably going to get insulted and get your feelings hurt listening to this podcast. I'm not saying I want you to 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 turn away or or to tune us out or whatever, but uh, yeah, Joker sucks, and I'm not apologizing for that. <laughs> and we will never apologize. And it's not like guys are. We're not like you know. Uh, our opinions are facts. It's not that. It's just that when it comes to the Joker, our opinions are facts, and the Joker sucks. So <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, you know, m- most of our opinions uh, are ours and ours alone. Uh, but I feel like that this is the opinion that everyone should have. Joker sucks. That's <laughs> the end of the story. If they write another one, which God forbid, I've heard they're going to. Uh, I'm at a loss for words. Yep, because they could uh, easily take that money and pump it right back into Suicide Squad 3. Yes, and that is exactly what they need to do. So, uh, with that being said, Chubbs, uh, when, when you first heard they were making this remake, what was your... I, I know you said earlier you weren't very enthused, but... As the movie was coming along and we started getting more and more information, uh, what was your feelings about it? Were you excited? Uh, I, I, would, I, I remember exactly, I was actually at work in my office and I, I seen a news article about it. I think I was taking like a lunch break or something and I was like, oh, the feeling was very neutral. So I clicked, I, I, I decided I'd buy it. I clicked on the link and I read some of the characters that they were um, tossing around doing. And instantly I started to feel excited. As long as it wasn't that original cast, minus Harley Quinn, she's the exception to all of this. Um, she's the constant. Gotta have Harley. Hopefully never decide to get rid of her. Um, please, Margaret Robbie, stick with him as long as you can because you're glorious and beautiful. But I was excited. I, I'm a big CW guy. DC, so I was excited to see what King Shark was going to bring. I thought the casting was hilarious. Um, didn't know a whole lot about a lot of these other characters, though. So I had to kind of get into that, and it was fun, though. I was excited for a new movie, and it seemed like it was going to be fun, and then when I heard who was going to be doing this film, I was, you know, after I realized that, of course, that Marvel had secured gun for a few more movies I was excited at first I was like you know okay this is going to be Suicide Squad 2 it's probably going to be all the same they will probably get another you know song like Heathens for the trailer and it'll just be dark and then I was like okay this is going to be something different this is going to be something special and I'm here for it that was my original take when I first heard about the film you know when when I first heard about the film I, I too was sitting at my computer at work and, and I remember very clearly, uh, the, the blurb was, uh, Warner Brothers hires James Gunn to direct the Suicide Squad. And I was like, oh, well that's interesting. And I got to thinking they were talking about it, it was going to be a soft reboot and everything. I was like, well that, that, that's cool. Uh, but I, I'm like you. Once they started releasing information about the characters, uh, man, I was psyched. Uh, you know, I, I was afraid, just like you, that, that they might come in and they might do several of the same cast members. 
And, uh, man, I, I was like, that's not Task Force X, you know. It, to wow. me, that. To me, the the heart of that story and, and what one of the things I love about that concept is that it's always somebody different. And, uh, you know, I remember very early on one of the characters that uh, had been tossed out and uh, I was excited for was Calendar Man. Uh which we did get in the movie, but not in the way uh, some right, of us right, might have wanted or expected. Uh, but then they were going to do like the polka dot guy, man. And uh, you know, I got really excited because some of these are characters that have existed in the DC universe for decades. And, uh, you know, for those of us who have grown up on comics, uh, some of these characters aren't as obscure as many people today think they are. Uh, you know, and I was just very excited. And then when they announced that they were going to do King Shark uh, instead of, like, Killer Croc, I got really excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that excited me about it was how were they going to bring this character to life? Because one of my critiques with the first movie uh, was Killer Croc. Now, don't get me wrong, the guy who played him, I feel like, played the character well. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe a little too articulate for me, uh, because for me, Killer Croc was never that uh, verbal or that well-spoken as the character was in that movie. Uh, but the look of him, I didn't care for. Uh, so I was really excited to see how they did King Shark, but I had a little bit of trepidation there, too, because mm -hmm. I was afraid they were going to make him well-spoken and and verbose the way they did Killer Croc. Yep. And then yep. I got really scared when I heard that Sylvester Stallone <laughs> had been cast to do King Shark. I was like, there's no way yep. they're going to pay Stallone to come do this and not give him <laughs> lines. And yep. and uh, but God bless James Gunn and and the creative minds behind this because Sylvester Stallone just muttering the word bird. Uh, one of the most hilarious things ever. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, his, his voice is so recognizable. And uh, I, I was just really pleased and interested with as more and more information began coming out about the movie. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And I thought that casting was so off the wall ridiculous. I was like, oh, no, please don't give us a sad... Sylvester was a doctor, then he turned into a shark, um, like doing marine biology or something. And then when you first hear King Shark in all his voice and speak for the first time, I look, oh, read books, oh, smart I am. You're like, oh, God, I, lo <laughs> I love this guy already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, 
And I should have known. I mean, we're talking about a director and writer who hired Ben Diesel to say three words. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and has continued to hire him through several movies to say the exact same three words. Uh, which, to me, is part of the genius of, of that character. It is. Man. But, uh, you know, I, I just, the more and more I saw <laughs> of this movie, the more and more I got excited about it. And uh, one of the things that I love about this movie uh, is how the, the feeling it elicits uh, from me and how it brings me back to my childhood and how I got into comics. Uh, I don't hey, man, know about... Sorry. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly how you and Brandon uh, got into comics when you were a kid. I'm a little bit older than the two of you. But, you know... For me, my introduction to comics was we would, my mom and dad would wake me up early on a Saturday morning and we would go out and we would, we would do what they call yard selling or going to flea markets. And my introduction to comics when I was a kid was going to these flea markets and buying up back issues of comics for five cents a piece or whatever it is. You know, my, my dad would hand me a $10 bill and be like, that's all you get for the day. And I would go spend it all on comics. And, you know, when you buy these things at a flea market or even back when they used to be at the newsstands at like gas stations and stuff, you know, you might go in and pick up issue 103 and you could read that issue, and the great thing about it was those issues were normally standalone stories. Even though they were taking place in a greater universe, they were a standalone story. Uh, in today's comics, it seems like everything is about universal, universal uh, crossovers and everything, and you've really got to read almost every book a company puts out to really be invested in the overall art for that year. Yep. But back when I got into comics, each book was a standalone story. And to me, that's what this movie is like. Even though it is technically a sequel or a soft reboot that exists in the DCEU, it's a standalone story. It's a standalone comic book. It's, you know, it, it's picking up a comic because the cover's interesting and reading it and discovering characters you never knew you wanted. And to me, that's the glory of this new Suicide Squad movie. Absolutely, man. These uh, and just <laughs> people that were, you know, uh, we, we had talked about this earlier. I, I feel like Gunn was that kid who had like. Like hand me down WWF action figures and like just GI Joe characters and was like, cool, I'm gonna make stories out of these guys, you know. And he does such a good job at that, man. Um, Speaking of which, film. the way he designed TDK makes me believe he was a big Masters of the Universe uh, <laughs> yeah. guy, and he lost the arms off of him a lot because 
when Nathan Fillion dislocates his arms and sends them to fight, the bones sticking out of the sides look just like the shoulder joints on a Masters of the Universe figure. <laughs> he had to have done that, man. He had to have done that. He probably told his brother, uh, who was in this film as well, he was like, man, you know what? If we're finally going to give that G.I. Joe we lost. The mom sold it a yard sale. We're finally going to give him justice with TDK. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Nathan, Nathan, man, Nathan Fillion, he nailed that. That was, that was a little upsetting to see him go so fast, but, man, did it serve that film such justice. So I want to talk about that for a minute, Frost, how they <laughs> – how they geniusly marketed these characters. They marketed these characters and they, they, they promoted them, you know, and then they're all gone in the first five minutes. Like what? And then I'm just like, that's when everybody, including myself, we all fans kind of leaned up a little bit and was like, what, you know, and then it was the, the team two coming in and you're just like, does the backtrack of how that team form. And you're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm invested. I am officially invested. You know, the marketing for this was great. And the thing about it was they didn't try to fool us. They told us during the entire final <laughs> push up to release, don't get attached. Yeah. Don't get attached. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think many of us really understood if any of us understood what that meant. The gravity and, of uh, that statement. For, for those of you who may not have seen the movie yet and do not want spoilers, now may be the time to find an alternate podcast because we're about to launch into an analyzation of this movie and uh, you're going to find out some things you might not want to find out if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, for those of you who have seen it, uh, stick around uh, and and join us while we're going through this journey because I can't I can't explain to you how this movie worked, but it did. Oh, it did uh, <laughs> you know, they uh, one of the things about Gunn, and we talked about this earlier too, is in every movie he's done, at least in Marvel and now DC, he fills it with Easter eggs. Uh, little cameos, casting Easter eggs, uh, character Easter eggs, you name it. They're all in there. Um, and, and he filled the promotional team, as it were, with all those Easter eggs. And we should have known something was going to happen. Uh, you know, casting-wise... The, the number of people who are in this film and are also in the Guardians of the Galaxy films is ridiculous. Uh, and starting off, we can talk about his brother, uh, Mr. Gunn's brother. He, of course, plays uh, the second-in-command Reaver to Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and in this, he actually plays two characters. And I know I mentioned that earlier, and uh, you and Brandon were both kind of taken aback, but he actually plays two characters in the new Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah, man, and, tell us about those for the fans who didn't spot it. So, well, number one, he plays a a, a cameo of Calendar Man. Uh, when they're going through Belle Reeve and you're seeing some background characters, uh, Calendar Man is there. Uh, 
and uh, that is James Gunn's brother. Uh, but he also did the motion capture and was credited as Weasel as yeah, well. That's the one that blew me away, which makes sense after you hear it. You know, he's such a good mocap artist or actor, oh, I should say. Without really a doubt. Art. But man, uh, he's Sean Gunn's going to be the next uh, Andy Circus man. <laughs> he's so good <laughs> at that. <laughs> yes. And, uh, but, you know, and, and then you have people like uh, Savant. Michael Rooker, who, of course, we know from Guardians of the Galaxy as Mary Poppinjaw. Uh, <laughs> Mary Poppinjaw! Uh, Yondu, and uh, he's playing Savant, and that's actually how we open the movie with Michael Rooker sitting in his cell, or not his cell, in an outside exercise yard. On the, on after, the of course, hearing uh, the, the, the un- I, I don't I don't know how I want to say this because I'm such a huge fan, but the incomparable Johnny Cash actually uh, kicks this off over the over, opening man. Uh, sequence. Man, I, I remember when it first started, and I heard those opening twangs of Folsom Prison Blues. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be different. This is yep. going to be a different yep. movie." Yep. Uh, that and then we open tone so well, man. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Uh, it, re- it reminds yeah. you that these guys like still got a little good in them. They've made some really bad decisions. Here they are. They got the blues. Like that's what the song did for me. You know. Yeah, and and of, and of course it, you know, opening with that movie instead of something dark and moody, uh, as a lot of the other DCE movies have done, sets the tone right away. Yeah. You know this is going to be a pulpy. Uh, you know, kind of pop culture uh, thrill ride. Uh, and, and I think that was wonderfully done. But we open with Michael Rooker as the character Savant uh, in the wreck yard. And immediately we are led to believe that this is going to be our main character. And uh, this is our new dead shot. Yeah, this is our new Deadshot. And, uh, yeah, the look of the character straight out of the comics. Mm -hmm. uh, And and it was a great, compelling character. So we go through the opening of the scene before we meet any of the other characters, and it's very savant-heavy. And you're led to believe that, that, hey, that's who our new Deadshot is or, or whatever. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, we get to the nitty gritty of it. And now everybody, they spend the first seven or eight minutes of the movie introducing you to is now dead, including a returning character that we probably all thought would make it through. Yep. And And, that is uh, going to be Miss Harley Quinn you're referring to, correct? uh, No, 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 no. No, oh, okay. Uh, Courtney oh, yeah. J. White as Captain Boomerang uh, uh, yeah. buys it very early in the film, uh, where most of us would have probably thought he would have made yeah. it uh, yeah. further. Uh, but uh, you know, just that that ah, gotcha. This ain't going anywhere mm. where you thought it was going to mm. be. Was a genius 
tactic uh, to was. start this movie. And made the characters seemingly interesting, charismatic, or strong enough for this not to happen, but it happens. You know, like you oh, got yes. uh, you got the the funny witty scenes where uh Blackheart's teasing the the whatever government agent, whatever he is, uh SWAT guy. You know, you're just like, oh, you know, cool. And Pete Davidson's gonna be hilarious in this movie. He's gonna provide the comic relief. Uh, <laughs> Javelin's gonna be funny to watch. You know, it's gonna be ridiculous. Gonna the, the accent's gonna grow on you. None of that happens. <laughs> no, uh, none, none of it is given the uh, opportunity to happen. And of course, Gun foreshadows this when when Task Force X uh, exits the plane. Uh, one of the genius things to me is the office personnel at Bell Reeve. Uh, of course, you've got the straight, uh, sinister Amanda Waller, but the people who are working around her are, they're, they're hilarious. Yeah. Uh, the, the moment Weasel drops in and can't swims, I remember one of my very first big laughs was when uh, the girl turns around and goes, did nobody check to see if the weasel could swim? <laughs> I know, man. And it's like, this was like, I don't know if it was supposed to be rushed or if it was just supposed to be like they didn't care to check, which is probably the right, the correct of the two. But but that was great. Like, nobody did this. I got big Cabin in the Woods vibes off that staff in that office. Did you did you get any of that, pick up any of that, uh, Frost? Oh, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. It was so cabin in the woods like, you know, like I thought somebody was going to be like, especially when they were betting, you know, it's like, hey, I got 20 on Merman, you know, um, <laughs> they were taking bets. <laughs> I got big bets oh, well, man. I really enjoyed that. I, the, the one beat I think they could have put in there is had they done something where like one of the guys actually knew he couldn't swim and had actually bet for him to be the first one to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like he set him up to yeah, die yeah. just to win the bet. Just to win uh, a couple of bugs at the office, yeah. Have bragging rights at the office at the water well, I told I told you the weasel would die first. <laughs> uh, as he as he hides the piece of paper saying weasel can't swim in his pocket. Oh yeah. But uh thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. I thought we, uh, we did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know that that dynamic is a great dynamic in the movie. And one of the, the beautiful things about this, uh, before we actually get to, to our review, is how there's these little set pieces scattered everywhere. You know, you've got the, you've, you've got, uh, you've got Harley and her little story that's running through it. And then you've got the original, uh, Task Force X and their story running through it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the office pool and and they get their moments throughout the film. And then you have the thinker and his moments throughout the film. And all of these flow into a cohesive narrative in spite of itself. Man, what? Well said. Well said. And, um, and I think that's one of the things that, that really drove the movie and, and, and kept me entertained because too often in today's, uh, 
cinemascape, if you will. Uh, I, I feel like movies get too predictable, and there seems to always be that moment that kind of drags for whatever purpose. And I can honestly say this is one of the first movies that didn't have a single moment where I was like, oh, let's get to the next action sequence. Dude, exactly. They they always put something in there to entertain you. Yep. Uh, So that that I feel like is the genius of the movie. Yep. Uh, I don't want to jump too ahead, but... The only time that I, if I had to force myself to think where anything like that, it was the, you know, the great, the the laughter, the music, everything was going good. And you're like, okay. And then shot, shoots the King Shark, just vibing in the car by himself, listening to music. And you just laughing like, you're like, oh, King Shark, I wish you could go inside and not blow their cover. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it makes you oh. feel bad for the character to be like, oh, you get excited to see him, you know. And, um, and when you bring that that moment up, uh, that brings us back to another thing Gunn seems to do in all of his movies. We've already talked about Michael Rooker and Gunn's brother being in the film. He's also got so many people from the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, series in this. Of course, you have Stallone as King Shark, uh, and he, of course, played Starhawk, uh, one of the Reaver commanders in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. Uh, you have <laughs> you you have all sorts of these little cameos, if you will, uh, to Kiwati or however you say his name. Takiwati. Uh, yeah, Takiwati. What? Whatever. Uh, he's <laughs> in the movie. And, and obviously he's been in, in Avengers movies and Thor and, and, uh, will probably soon be in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, as Korg. But he's probably. in the movie playing Ratcatcher 1, uh, Ratcatcher 2's father. Uh, you know, you, you've got these little cameos peppered in throughout. And one that a lot of people may not have picked up on or just didn't notice is uh Palm whatever her name is, the 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 young lady who plays Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy. She's actually one of the dancers in the bar there in uh Cordo Maltese. Uh so you know, and I'm sure that was one of those things where Gum was like, "Hey, we need an extra. You want to come in and be a part of this movie?" And, yeah, man. Yeah, and, and then when you Gate told me that, I was like, "Oh my god, it blew me away!" Like I didn't even see that. But I think that attests to how much fun they probably have making these movies with James Gunn. Like it seems like it's all one big happy family. Like he's like, "Hey, you want to come be in this movie I'm making? It's gonna be cool." Like you know. I just want people I love and appreciate and respect to be a part of this. And it's just so cool that he includes that. You know, he's he's really big on Easter eggs. And that was one I think fans were a day or two, you know, behind on catching. And then somebody spotted it. You spotted it. Um, awesome just to see a Guardian, another Guardian uh, character in that movie. Was there any more that we haven't touched down on, Frost? Uh, well, mostly there were some character cameos uh, that – People may not have noticed. Uh, of course, you've got Calendar Man. Uh, there was uh, a couple of other 
villain uh, cameos. There was Kaleidoscope. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying to... There, There's another one. Uh, it's the guy who has, like, looks like part of his face is ripped off and, and another part is skin. I can't remember the character's name right off the top of my head, but he's an established character. He wasn't just stuck in there because the makeup looked cool. Right, right, right. Uh, there were there were some of those uh the the little uh, obviously the uh, little creatures that attack king shark uh are are a little bit of an easter egg yeah, yeah, uh, so um you know gun likes to stick those things in there and uh, i think he did a beautiful job with this one uh, man absolutely um so that that's our breakdown of the Easter eggs. So let me ask you this, Ross. What's some of your favorite humor? Because I, the first thing I felt when this movie was over was, man, how much more enjoyable that was than the first one. Enjoyable in every sense, um, but also the humor was so much better, so much more full of life, so much more inner giggles and outside just straight up laughing I got from watching this. What's some of your favorite humor spots in the entire film? You know, um, I've got to say, and I'm saying this begrudgingly, uh, but many of my favorite moments in this movie were John (laughs) Cena-centric. Yeah. And I am not by any means a John Cena fan. As a matter of fact, I I have used many expletives towards Mr. <laughs> Cena in the past uh, for various reasons. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, John Cena took this role. And man, he, he sunk his teeth into it and he, he went full sin. He, he, he became Peacemaker and he played that character for every bit of comic value, uh, he could bring out of. He yep. didn't take himself too seriously, but at the same time, he let the character take himself too seriously. Uh, which was part of the humor. Uh, you know, the moment where, uh, and excuse the language, uh, but the moment where this guy says that if he would have to eat a field full of dicks for freedom, he would. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. ready to eat an entire, an entire beach full of eggplant emojis. Um, <laughs> just just to the day of freedom, and that that was everything. That's the scene we got from the trailer, but it was so much more fun and, and laughable. And it's just like, man, somewhere somewhere along the lines, someone that made this movie, uh, John Cena didn't sign their kid's autograph or something, and he was like, "All right, if he's going to be in this movie, I've got a line he has to say. If I if you want me to write this, like, and I I know I just want to speak on behalf of Brandon real quick, um, since we're all we all obviously collectively dislike. The person we want, we're not going to take credit where we're not going to take away credit where it's due for this character that he played and what he delivered. But Brandon, as a matter of fact, gave some, I wouldn't say vulgar, but gave some realistic comments directed towards John Cena about four feet away from the guy's face, made John Cena stop in his tracks and stare at him like, 
how dare you say this realistic stuff about me? <laughs> and he made him keep walking. We were at a, an, a WWE event when he did that. And every time I see John Cena's face, I just laugh about the time that Brandon, who is my brother, um, <laughs> made John Cena stop in his tracks and stare a hole through him <laughs> when I thought a fist fight was going to break out. So, but yeah, man, cannot take credit away where it is deserved. John Cena delivered comedic gold in this with his um, prison toilet seat on his head. Peacemaker was a character that I w- don't think this movie would have been. All the pieces wouldn't have been there if John Cena hadn't played this character. I got to say it was a great casting. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, physically, he obviously filled the role. But just his his presence, his... his uh, His, his seriousness, his, his seriousness. Yes, the, the seriousness know? he was able to bring out while delivering lines such as, uh, you know, uh, do do, uh, you know, uh, what was it he said? Uh, Brown eye is slang for butthole. Do we <laughs> we think that has anything to do with this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was dead serious. Said on it, you know. Oh yeah, dead serious. Oh. Um, you know, and he bought into the character, which I think is one of the great things. I know you and I t- spoke earlier, and we talked about how, you know, the studio would have to go to Cena's home and get the costume back because he would leave with the costume every day, and he would wear it home and keep it. And uh, you know, and when he bought in, he's done all the rounds of publicity and, and all this wearing he's, he's done, you know, interviews as peacemaker, not John Cena as peacemaker. (laughs) And, uh, and I think that is the genius of, of this, this particular film. And, uh, like I said, I'll give credit where credit was due. Cena definitely, uh, brought something to this film that it would have lacked had he not been there. He did, um, man. He brought straight up ruthless comedic aggression, and I'll give him credit for it. Um, it, it was very well, very well um, delivered. Um, one and, one oh, moment, uh, not to interrupt, oh, you're good. but one oh, moment yeah. since you asked me what some of my favorite comedic moments were. The, the one moment for me with Peacemaker that uh, made me spit my drink out, it, it was a literal spit take, was the moment where they're going through the Freedom Fighters camp and him and Bloodsport are uh, basically having a competition of who they can kill and how fast and, and what. And he yeah. comes to the guy sleeping there on the table and he he just starts at his toes and just starts rapid fire chopping him with the axe as fast as he can. Just as he's walking by, like all the way up the guy's body. Yeah, and, man. Like he's adding like he's adding items in a shopping cart. Like it's just hilarious the way he does it. Like and straight up Gimli Legolas confrontation battle to see who can get the most weight like uh, kills there. It's just straight up nonsense how he overkills that. And <laughs> I, was, oh, I was hoping and praying one of them would kill like, like blow up a building, and the other one would be like, still that only counts, counts as one. <laughs> yeah, still only counts as one. <laughs> uh, 
But let me ask you, Sam, um, if you had to pick one moment, one moment out of this film that really sparked joy for you, what moment would that be? Man, that is going to be hard to narrow it down to one. Um, I'm I'm thinking the the one that made me feel kind of more sold, even so than I already was, was when all that was going on so fast at the same time towards the beginning of the film, where King Shark was trying to eat Ratcatcher number two. Um, Bloodsport stops her. The ma- the rat Sebastian tells her like, "No, it's true." She gets upset. Then you find out about Idris Elba's like right before that. You find out about his fear of rats, and when they you go back to the whole cabin in the woods squad, like nobody said Bloodsport was a you know I had a rat phobia, you know, and like all that was going on, and it was just like the the dynamic. You realize there was something special between these people in that moment, and when Bloodsport's talking to Waller. And he's like, you know what? We can't function as a group if we're worried about each trying to kill each other. Also very Task Force X to me. You know, um, there's always somebody undermining, always somebody doing something um, for selfish purposes, for self-gain. And it was just like that. That dynamic I was like, uh, I was sold even more than I already was on this film. And I was ready to go. I was ready to get into this story, ready to see what this dynamic did. They did not let me down. We've gave Gunn a lot of uh, praise in this, but I do want to give um, credit to the actors, to the delivery, to the special dynamic that I'm sure, you know, he was cooking and stirring between these guys um, offset uh, on the, you know, on the set of the film, everything. But there was something very special amongst these characters that I did not feel in the first film. Yeah, you know, in the in the first film, as good as many of the characters were, uh, it never felt like they truly gelled. No, as and I don't want to say gelled as a team because that's not what really Task Force X has ever really been about. But to me, the actors never really gelled as as a performance uh, troupe. Uh, this in this movie they do. They seem to to have a lot of charisma with each other, uh, and they play off of each other really well. Uh, and that brings me probably to the moment that that made me pop bigger than any other moment in the film. And for those of you who may not follow wrestling parlance or uh, know what that means, a, a, a pop is a moment where there is a sudden outburst of emotion. Uh, in wrestling, to pop a crowd is to get them to cheer or to roar. Uh, and and the moment for me that popped me bigger than any other moment in the film was when Idris Elba, who is quite possibly one of the, the most <laughs> graviose or grandiose and gravitas foot, field actors of our age turns around and looks at King Shark and points at a giant starfish and says nom nom <laughs> yeah man absolutely absolutely that that was that was very I don't even know what the right word is but that sparked a lot of joy that was a big pop because that uh, was like you felt you felt the 
not only the acceptance, but the unit take this thing down because it was, you know, endangering the lives of men, women, and of course the children is what everybody, um, you know, decided, Hey, that's the, that's the break. Kind of like when Harley, you know, ended her, uh, engagement rather quick when she says, <laughs> you know what? I told myself I was going to do this and that's a huge red flag. I told myself I'd kill him. <laughs> when she's sitting there talking to his uh, soon becoming lifeless body as he's bleeding out, carrying that conversation with him was just so everything. I love the fact that they let these other characters breathe. You know, in the last film, it was it was a lot of Will Smith Harley. You know, it was a lot of Will Smith Harley development. Um, the weird dynamic between the two uh, felt, you know, but uh, uh, you know, getting back to this movie, they let everybody breathe. But Harley's moments were Harley's moments. She claimed ownership of Harley Quinn and were so well delivered, especially like the ones you don't even see coming are so good. Like we have a we have a Milton on our team. I think I'm getting his name right. It might be something else. Like we have a Milton. No, it on our was team. Milton. Yeah, it was Milton. Okay, who's Milton? Where's Milton? And you know, after they you know do their thing with Star, and they're like. She's like, it's okay. I'll be your friend, Milton. And he's like, my name is not Milton. She's like, yeah, we just had a whole conversation about it. Like, that was just everything to me. Um, My favorite Harley moment of humor in the film that I love, that I literally laughed out loud, could not stop myself from laughing is, though, when when Flag's telling him the rules, like, hey, you know what, Thinker, you are officially in the Suicide Squad. You're a Task Force X, whether you like it or not, if you do this. If you have personalized license plates, you will die. <laughs> like they crack me up. That got oh, me and, big. <laughs> and, and, was, and the great thing about that was was how Flag responded to that. No, 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 no. Those last three aren't no. That's no. Those aren't real. <laughs> just she just assumes this like t- like title and power uh, and starts telling this guy. And that was cracking me up, man. But the one that got me even more so than that is when flags, they're like having a serious business conversation and she just had to chime in and say, I am pacing back and forth. <laughs> like that, It got me, man. It got me. Uh, her spots in this movie were great, man. And I, I'm truly grateful that, you know, none of these characters um, had to stick around from the first film, but I'm really glad they decided to keep Harley. I'm glad we got to see Flag in the movie as much as we did. He's kind of the moral compass of the film, uh, very much needed in a world of misfits and, you know, ragtag, hand-me-down characters. We needed a Rick Flag to be the moral compass of the of the film. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. They decided to keep those two characters around um, as long as they did anyways, in Flag's case. Yeah. So, um, so let's just get down to brass tacks on this, uh, Chubbs. Uh, we, we've talked about the things we've loved about the movie, and and why why don't we delve into a little bit of what we would have liked to have seen done different? Because I know as fans, there's always those things we'd like to see done different. Sure. Uh, because a lot of these characters really live in our minds. Uh, if you could have changed one thing about this movie, what would it have been? I have a, a weird beef, a personal weird beef, but then I have a, a overall thing that I think our listeners will kind of relate to a little bit more, or say a little bit more, and, and that's just the the start of the conquer man. I, I feel like we could have gotten a little bit more of a build, a little bit more of a backstory. The film could have been, I think it was right at two twelve, two hours twelve minutes. It could have been. 222 if we'd have got a little bit more start or build a little bit more um of him doing the whole villain monologue more 
something a little bit more. And if that wasn't the case, at least give more dark U.S. government um, somebody to dislike because you have these such lovable characters. It is an action superhero film. I feel like we needed a better bad guy, um, which is something that, you know, I always will will compliment DC on. They have very exceptionally good villains. But Stardo just, um, I feel like the character should have had, uh, they should have paid the character himself a little bit more respect and made it more of a serious threat and not just a one big five, ten minute done battle at the end. Well, you know, to to speak to that, um, you know, essentially Starro is a giant alien starfish that can control minds. And, and, and I understand it was a big kaiju uh, monster set piece. That's that's fine. I I get that. But what a lot of people may not realize, and one of the things that irritated me so much about that, is that Starro in the DCEU, or in the DC Comics universe, as it were, is a Thanos-level threat. We're th- talking about world-ending threat. And he was basically made to be little more than, you know, a, a giant kaiju to be, to be brought down. Uh, and, and that bothered me. But if there was one thing I could change about this movie other than, than, than the Starro thing, uh, I, I feel like to me it would be, uh, the death of Rick Flagg. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just feel like, A, I, I, I wish they'd have kept the character around because like you said, he is the moral compass of Task Force X. But to me, his death seemed almost anticlimactic. Yep, I agree with you there, buddy. Just, I do. Just the way it happened. Uh, that would be the, the one thing I would change. Uh, but I, I, I do agree with you. I, I feel like Starro could have been, uh, could have been more. If they were going right. to use him simply as what they used him for, I don't see why they didn't just keep some of the, the star, uh, spores. Yeah, and use them. Uh, right, because it, it seems of, like if it, it seems like if you were going to pull a character that might mean something to fans, you would represent that character in a way that would continue to pay homage to the character. Um, you know, right. that they could have used the giant spider as overdone as it is, as long as it's not a giant mechanical spider from Wild Wild West. You could have done something else besides the character, and I am nowhere near as um, knowledgeable in the DC Comics world as you are. Frost, so I, I I can't imagine what your thoughts were watching this character. You know, I mean, it was all it almost felt like we were, I, I mean, Mandarin from Iron Man three. You know, it was like, whoa, this is this is a serious thing. Why are they doing this? You know, right now we're actually I, getting the real Mandarin and uh, Sean well, and who knows? Three. Maybe maybe this is going to wind up being some sort of bait and switch with Starro as well. But I I just I I feel like those two things to me. They in no way take away from the movie, right, but exactly. had those two things been different, they could have added. 
Right. And this and, and guys, this comes from a place we're both saying like we're challenging one another, like you have to pick something. You know, we we the still the still the movie, we we love it. Obviously, we've been, you know, we decided we want to do this. So we love the film, but it's like you, you gotta be fair, you gotta dissect it and say what your one beef was. But you know, who knows? Um that one beef might turn into they might retcon that and say, Oh, you know what? I'm the real star. That was my that was my son. Um, I am the real star of the conqueror. You know, that was my child that you kidnapped, and we may actually get a real deal star of the conqueror one day. Who knows? Um, so, but you know, we may do that. But going back now, if we're going to move forward with Task Force X. And this is something I want to talk to you about after we get our reviews done. But I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. Where do we go from here now? Uh, you know, we know that, you know, the tagline for the movie was don't get attached. So where do we go from here with Task Force X? Man, uh, so we, when we spoke earlier, um, Something that didn't even come to mind when we were discussing this film before we started our uh, in plain view review. Something that didn't come to mind earlier was, uh, of, of course, you're going to need to step up the bad guy. You're going to need to step up the threat. You're going to need to step it up. I would almost like to see two Task Force Xs in in confrontation of some sort. Um, that that would I think that might be interesting for a third movie. But you're we're going to have to discuss who the key players are, who this new Task Force X is going to be. Um, whether it is one team or they do decide to do like a uh, a double you know, threat thing where it's like two teams eventually fighting each other, which I think would be enjoyable and entertaining for all fans to watch. But let's just keep it, let's keep, keep it simple and say that there are, there are of course, they, they better if they decide they like having dump trucks of money dropped off their door every day. Let's say Warner Brothers moves forward with Task Force X films, who is going to be in this next Suicide Squad? Right. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I've got some favorites of my own I would love to see. Uh, and, and and one of those would be a character that I know is near and dear to both years of Brandon's heart, and that's Gorilla Grodd. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, when you're looking at the Suicide Squad, there's certain almost character roles that have to be filled. You know, there's the, there's, of course, you've got Harley. She's always going to be there because Margot Robbie owns that, that role. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't see how we could move forward without No, Harley. absolutely not. That, that's a guaranteed shoe. And I think us and the viewers, listeners, a lot can agree that Harley has to be the constant of this. Uh, but outside of that, really, it can be a, a revolving door of characters, but there's always going to be certain roles you need filled. You're always going to have that monstrous muscle that you need that was filled by Killer Croc and, and King Shark. So I feel like Grodd could fill that role very well. I think you uh, do too, man. My, my only concern with that is I, I really enjoy Grodd as a villain. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to see Grodd show up. 
I just feel like Grodd is a character that I personally, this is all my, I, I enjoy more as a villain than, and you know, he does get his back and forth anti-hero roles um, at times, but uh, he would definitely deliver. If that's the route they decided to go, I would not be opposed to it in any way. Um, I would love to see Grodd show up and mind control the other Task Force X team as, you know, and he just, just as, just to remind them like, Hey, you know what? I can make you um, do jumping jacks if I want to, you know, could you imagine him having control over Harley and making her do something silly, you know, (laughs) with, with that being said, what about if the next suicide squad Grodd is the villain and we have maybe Salivar, the uh, ruler of gorilla city as that, um, monstrous muscle component. Uh, the the great thing about this move the this potential series of movies is, is it can go in so many different directions because we are using characters that exist in the periphery <laughs> of the DC extended universe. Exactly, man. It's not like James Gunn's gonna sit down with one of the brothers and they're gonna be like, well you know what? We had Grodd plan for the next Superman movie. That's still not going to work. Like these are all characters that he can make people care about that we already care about a lot. And yeah, man, I would be so on board. So Warner Brothers, if like like Big Frost said earlier, if if somebody's cousin's rumors, if somebody's cousin's roommate is listening to this that works at Warner Brothers, um, we want to see Grodd, man. We want to see Grodd in Suicide Squad three. And I know when we were speaking earlier, there's so many characters that can fill that role. Uh, one of the ones you were talking about earlier was uh, Solomon Grundy. A man born on a Monday, Solomon Grundy. Uh, would be a perfect uh, addition to Task Force X. Absolutely. Uh, but with all that being said, it, it, it's all, uh, you know, fantasy uh, casting or whatever at this point. Uh so what I would like to at, at, at this point do is uh, I'd like to challenge our listeners. Uh, you know, follow us on social media. Uh, check us out on Instagram at uh, In Plain View Show Official. I yep, believe. That's it. In Plain View Show Official. Uh, check us out there. Leave us a comment. Give us your idea for a five-person team for the next Suicide Squad movie. Uh, We'll check all those out, and in our next podcast, uh, we'll mention some of our favorites, and maybe we'll do some uh, fantasy casting on those and and see what uh, we could do with those. But uh, we're on Instagram. We're on the Twitter machine. Uh, You can follow us there as well as on Facebook. Uh, absolutely all you gotta do for you facebook users um all you gotta do is search in plain view you'll see us uh we have some like blue greenish graffiti style logo that our brandon cooked up for the team so yeah guys please interact tell us who you want to see the suicide squad man if you want to keep some of the same characters if you want to introduce some characters that you think you're like why aren't these guys mentioning you know the atom or killer frost you know please uh, tell us about it man so we can discuss this together because this is us uh, collectively coming together nerd and out. So nerd out with us. Uh, so yeah, get in contact with us guys. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're coming to that point in the show where we're going to have to, uh, 
get real serious. And Chubbs, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot. Uh, give me your uh, final end-all review of the Suicide Squad. All right, we're going to try to keep this in about 30 seconds. I'll go ahead and kick it off. I love this movie. I'm going to have to give it a solid four out of five. Would have been a five um, if it wasn't for some of the picks we had. You know, it, it's a great movie. It, it's its own thing, and each one of those four stars are very earned um, to everybody involved in this. The score was phenomenal. The The music, the soundtrack to this thing is great. I'm a big music guy. Um, I, I absolutely love that. Everything from the start of Johnny Cash to the last music playing, the songs that Harley were singing, that was important to me, and I, I really appreciated what they did on that aspect of the film. The movie was hilarious. The humor was a thousand times better this time around. Real belly laughs come out of me. Um, and it's hard to do that. And you, you bring comedy, action, superhero, all these different dynamics, you know, to this to the, to this stage that they have created. And I absolutely love the film, man. So I'm going to go with four out of five, Ross. You know, I I've been thinking about this a lot since we we talked earlier. And again, I'm going to try to keep this to about a minute. Uh, really enjoyed the movie. T to me, this movie took me back to me and my friends going to the theater on a Saturday afternoon and just just getting lost in, in the fantasy of what cinema could be. Uh, it, it wasn't too heavy. It wasn't too uh, confusing. Uh, but it was fun. It was a roller coaster of a movie. Uh, so for that, I'm going to have to give it a solid four and a half stars. Mm -hmm. uh, the problems I had with this film are so minor, they, they almost don't uh, warrant inclusion. But I, I do want to be honest with our listeners and, and give an honest review. Is it a perfect movie? No. Uh, is it going to win an Academy Award? No. Is it fun? Without a doubt. Oh, uh, this, this is the type of movie for me that I go to the cinema for. This is what I go for. I want a movie that I can go in, I can get my big $20 bucket of popcorn, <laughs> swimming in whatever that butter oil is, and a big soda, and I can sit there and I can lose myself in modern tentpole blockbuster film. To me, that's what this is. This is me and my buddies reading comics and hanging out on a Saturday afternoon. This, to me, brings back my childhood and what I always dreamed comic book movies could be. Man, absolutely. So, well, well said, dude. And I think your rating was perfect. That, um, man, spot on. Kind of got me in my emotions a little bit. <laughs> that is that is perfect, man. So, is there anything else you want to add before we close out today, big guy? Uh, no, the only thing I would say is uh, again, uh, guys, follow us up on all the social media uh, spots as normal. We're out there. We've got a, a meme page that's pretty good that Chubbs keeps updated with some of the freshest uh, pop culture memes going on uh hang with us uh this is our first show back and we're definitely going to be coming at you with more movie reviews more pop culture uh uh conversations uh 
possibly even some skits in the future. Uh, one that uh, was floated today in a uh, production meeting. Uh, we're looking at maybe uh, producing a skit of Sheldon Cooper uh, reviewing and disparaging the Joker movie because, like we said before, Joker sucks. Uh, so uh, stick with us on that. Follow us up on all the normal medias and uh, hang out with us. Uh, interact with us. Uh, we are doing this not only for ourselves, but for you guys, uh, because these are uh, the things in our lives that, that, that give us meaning and purpose. You know, the, the pop culture world is our new uh, mythology. And uh, and I don't feel like enough people give it enough credit for that. We need to keep these things alive and, and to pass them on and make them live. And uh, that's what we're here to do. So join us on our journey, and uh, we're going to try to entertain you uh, and hopefully maybe uh, make you think a little bit and uh, give you some information you might not have had before you listen to a bunch of geeks who have no life. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well said, Frost. Well said. Uh, guys, I just want to say real quick, um, what if is coming right around the corner? So I do want to give a soft plug for that. We will be discussing and reviewing the, the Marvel What If episodes over on Disney Plus each week. Um, so just stay tuned. Keep up with us. Uh, those will be dropping shortly after the episode. So, guys, we just want to say much love to you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, before we close, just remember that if rats have purpose, then so do we all. Live fast and die clown, guys. Thanks for listening. And until next time, the balcony is closed. <laughs>